me let me get the voice ready. Me, 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 me. All right, here we go. In a three, in a two, in a one. Hey, it's Dan. Before Peter takes us on a magical journey through FC Dallas soccer and all that implies, I'd just like to stop and say that Third Degree to Podcast was brought to you by Soccer 90 your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Check out new arrivals from leagues around the world, including new Dallas Burn vintage-style gear from Mitchell and Ness. And remember, third-degree listeners, that would be you, you are listening, this is Third Degree to Podcast, get 20% off at Soccer90.com with promo code THIRDDEGREE. Some exclusions may apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast number, please. 169. Nice. Hey, how you doing? It's me, Peter. And via the miracle of the internet, first off, your friend and mine, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. Hey, how's it going? I'm um I'm um I'm okay, Dan. I'm not it's incredibly hot, but it's another one of those Dallas summers. We've hadn't had one like this in quite some time, so we were due for it, my friend. Yeah, it's pretty bloody miserable, isn't it? And I'm just glad to know that you handle it better than Mr. Martinez, but we'll talk more about that <laughs> here in a few minutes. And of course, your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of thirddegree.net. The good Buzz Carrick, come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Uh, before we start, shout out to a young listener of our podcast, avid listener named Hunter, who said hello to me on the game this weekend. He was nice, so thanks for listening, Hunter. Hey, Hunter. Is this age appropriate? This podcast for Hunter? I mean, he says he listens every week, so it must be. <laughs> <laughs> or does his parents yeah. not? Maybe it's not, and his parents don't know. Yeah, he's hiding <laughs> under the in the closet in the bedroom, listening to the after yeah. dark, third degree after dark. That's right. He's like yeah. under the covers with his flashlight, <laughs> listening to the third degree podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's really weird. Okay. Well, hello, Hunter. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, all right. Well, here we are. Uh, I guess we're just going to have to dive straight into the muck, which we is one win, four losses, two ties over the last seven games. And by the way, I just want to point out to everybody that one win, since we're already feeling like crap, I just want to throw this in here. The one win did come against an Orlando team that didn't even field their starting their best 11 and just were a couple days off playing a really, really tough Open Cup game. So it's not even like that is a big you know, notch on the belt to be super proud of. Yeah, this is approaching catastrophic number territory, considering that they started with six wins, four ties, and one loss. That's 22 points. And then the last seven now, that's the one win, two ties, that's five points. So it's like, this is about a big a fall-off as we've ever seen. Um, It reminds me, obviously, of 2017. You can't help but think that when you think about big fall-offs. Let's hope they can get it righted. All right. Well, Buzz, let's. I'm trying to figure out the best way to kind of parse out the game. Yeah. Um, I, I, 
when I was watching it, it just had the it just continued this sense that the team just feels very disconnected from back to front and I'm not even really sh- I'm really having a hard time putting my finger on what exactly is so wrong uh, ab- about the team at this point. Yeah, the game was interesting because I, I was watching how static and lethargic it kind of was, and it took me a while to realize that Miami kind of uh, pulled the Dallas playbook, is that they were going into this own mid-level block of their own and had chosen a starting 11 that was relatively static and immobile and not particular attacking-minded or vertical, um, which seemed really weird to me. And it, and it diffused the game, and it made the game, game difficult. And Dallas had trouble getting around or over that block. That's been a problem recurring trend for a long time. You know, they had, I believe at halftime I looked, they had six shots, which is not a particularly good output for a home team. Now the, the, the accuracy, the efficiency was good because I believe it was four on target for the six. That's really nice. You like that part. That's been a hallmark all year, but they're just not getting enough opportunities right now. They're having trouble getting over people. Uh, and then they struggled on their own once the once Miami brought in the players that are the vertical attacking more interesting players, which was which I took me a while to realize that's what they were doing, and they sort of went for it. And then Dallas struggled with that because of the again problems with center back health and and pairings and and the choice to go with Nanu, who's not a defensive player and is more of an attacking player, didn't seem to pay off in the attacking flair that you would want out of him. I and mean, that's why he's in there is for the attacking part, and nothing really came of it. So um, overall, just a flat, uh, uninspired kind of game. But I, I don't know that that's on them. You know, you're, you are in the hot part of the year. They have had, they did have a tough run here. Maybe they're, they're not feeling very great as a group right now. It's This is where the coaching room is going to have to come in and try and sort them some things out and see if they can get things going back mentally in the right direction, get this team recharged maybe. Dan, the one thing that stuck out to me is really unusual. And again, I don't know if this is Jesus just going rogue and trying to figure out a way to get more involved. I don't know if this was instruction by the coach, but man, it does bother me when your nine is literally 20, 15, 20 yards back in their own half of the field, trying to play balls forward for wingers. Uh, yeah, a little bit like uh, Maxi Avruti, no less. Yeah, it was really weird. I mean, there were a couple of times where that almost worked, but I just I don't think that was the that's the uh, original intent of this uh, of this tactical structure of Nico. I mean, it can work if you've got the right wingers, and Ariola is one of the right wingers for that. That with the verticality he has, but I mean, he was just having an awful day. Try as hard as he may, nothing was coming off for him. And Velasco's not the not the type of winger you want to do that for. He's the kind of guy that just runs in a very very straight line and tries to play a square pass. If you're the striker, you're 20 yards back, setting him up for that. Well, who who's in there to finish the chance? Buzz, is that Jesus doing his own thing, or is that some instruction he's been given? Well, you know, coming back and being part of the build is part of his instruction. Um, you know, when Jesus is feeling like things aren't working. Um, from my observation, anyway, he tends to overdo that and come further and further back looking for the ball and trying to become the playmaker and the distributor and trying to get people freed up um, if he feels like it's not coming out of midfield. So um, that's usually a sign for me that things that he feels things are not going very well and it never seems to work, to be fair. I understand why he does it. I wish that he wouldn't, of course, because you'd, I think you'd be better off 
still just doing your normal sort of role and hoping that your other teammates can come up to the moment and, and do something good because um, there's, there's nothing worse. Even, even when you're playing as a false nine, you know, there's nothing worse than seeing your striker be back there picking up balls that are coming out from the center backs. You know, the whole point of a false nine, yes, is to move away from the center channel, but then you use your own pace and burst to get back into those spaces. And if you're not within touching distance of that line, that's not going to happen. Yes, you move out, but you have to be able to go back in, you know, particularly when, as as uh, Dan mentioned, um, Areola has a vertical component, but Velasco does not. So it's like Velasco's not, when when, Ella, when Inter Miami's playing that mid-block near midfield, you know, you, you can't count on Velasco for an over-the-top sort of, thing that Obreon against that particular setup that they used Obreon would have worked better but I'm not sure that it was obvious that that's what Miami was going to do until uh, you know you saw the actual execution on the field and then it's too late to sort of make that change the the way this team has been lined up and uh, with Faku in the middle again he took Cerio's place which uh, maybe isn't uh, uh, too surprising at this point because he will kind of hold that spot better than Cerillo will. But I really thought the surprising change was in Sebling over Cervania. And there's a whole bunch of talking points around this. Uh, but I will admit, Buzz, when I watched your instant reaction after the game, and by mm-hmm. the way, good job dealing with the uh, fireworks <laughs> and the car alarms. That was Thanks. a nice uh, audio touch to that presentation. I was, yeah. uh, frankly, I was really surprised you named in Sebling as your man of the match. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Frankly, it was not. He was not man of the match because of his the overall quality of his performance. He was man of the match because he took such a leap forward for himself, given where his own progression was. You know, it's not like he had two assists and a and a three key passes or something. It was just that it was such a radical step forward. I think I even mentioned in my um, three things the the idea that there are some players that progress in a smooth line. And then there are other players that make these jumps forward. And this was a jump forward game um, in the sense that I was seeing him finally have purpose is what I described it as to his energy. He wasn't running just to be running. He was running to places. He was, I think in the first half, there were five or six times where he popped up in the box in aggressive, exciting positions and put himself in good opportunities to make something happen. Um, you know, it wasn't just this typical sprint to close a guy down and then foul him. And it wasn't just the pick the ball up and run 10 yards and then not pass it to anybody that we'd seen most of the time. So that big leap was an exciting thing. And for me, that was the thing I could come up with that made me think he was the man of the match. Um, given the only other candidate I could come up with was um, Velasco for his goal. And I thought other than his goal, I didn't think he was all that great. So I didn't want to go that route. And uh, Not Paxton again? Paxton. Paxton has been really, really great lately. In this game, he didn't jump. He didn't jump out at me. I'm, I'm sure, like if I looked at the numbers, he'd be fine. But so, sometimes with a man of the match for me, particularly like when you don't win or or you have a thing like this where you feel like it's a loss, sometimes it's just a who really surprised me or stood out from like what I'm used to, you know. And so uh, while I probably would bet you that Paxton had a good game in terms of his pure numbers, he didn't leap out of the game at me like Ensebling did relative to where Ensebling has been before. So that was why. Yeah. But he ran it. Ensebling, to see he ran into a wall at 60. He was completely gassed. He almost fell over. And they had to yank him out quick. So, you know, that he needs, he'll need to work on the wisdom of doing slightly less and being able to do it longer, if that makes sense to you. 
It does. Yeah. He needs to learn to pace himself a bit. Yeah. I, I'll agree with you in part on the unsettling uh, uh, comment in that there were at least for the first 20 minutes of the game, there were moments where I almost threw my remote at the television because he would get a ball and and Sebling has this same trait that Tuamasi has where it almost feels as if they feel obligated to cut one way or the other or try to make a juke or a move when all they have to do is look over their shoulder and they've got acres of space to walk into. Yeah. Yet they they feel like it's like they almost assume they've got somebody pressuring them on the ball so they got to cut back in another way and yeah. they almost overdo that and in Sebling was really doing that in a, in a bad way at the beginning of the game there was a moment where he was two yards outside the the uh, near side of the top of the box and all he had to do was just look over his left shoulder and there was just nothing but penalty area to walk into but he cut back the other way and ended up passing a negative ball and i was so upset but to your point buzz there was some weird moment in the game where he figured that out and started to yeah. progress the ball forward. Because up until this moment in the game, I don't think I'd ever seen Insebling really progress the ball forward uh, on a on a consistent basis. Yet, to your point, something some switch flipped and he started taking the ball forward, yeah. covering space and finding himself in the box. And that was at least some good silver lining out of this. I hope we see more of it. Yeah, he, he always has done these little five-yard progressive dribbles, you know, in one, one, a much, much deeper position. And this time it was mostly his – it was mostly stuff he was doing off-ball where he kept surprising me. And I, I like it when players surprise me. Like, all of a sudden I'd be like, oh, there's Siki again. Like, in a place that I would want him to be before he's never gotten to those places. And all of a sudden there he is. And I'm like, oh – you know, it's jumping out at me that like something's going on with this kid. And I agree with you. It wasn't in the early, early stages. It was towards the mid to later part of the first half and into the second half. And I, I kept, I kept finding like, wow, I really like what this is, what's happening here with this kid. This is great. And, and that was enough to make me feel like to make him the man of the matches. I, I, Cause I enjoy that for me. I enjoy that kind of uh, a, a player. This is, you know, I talk about the kid, Nolan Norris in the Academy all the time. He consistently surprises me with his decisions in games in a good way. And this is the first time when I'm watching Siki that he kept catching me off guard by his positioning in a good way where he was popping up in the box or popping up supporting right underneath like Paxton does, but he was doing yeah. it on the other the other side, which which Brandon Brandon does some, but not like Paxton does it. And Siki was basically trying to play like Paxton, as near as I could tell, hey, great. If, if he's got that kind of energy, that's awesome. And that was why I was excited about it. All right, so Dan, I'm going to ask you this question. If Brandon Cervania, as your quote-unquote veteran uh, center midfielder, homegrown, um, you know, kind of uh, part of that dream trio of homegrowns, is getting surpassed in starting position by a late-round draft pick of that same rookie, by the way, does that say more about Ensebling or more about Brandon? I think it says more about... The team as a whole, really. Um, the, the 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 midfield has not been not not really had control of games lately, and I mean you're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall, trying to see what sticks. Okay, but do we feel, Buzz? Do you feel like this team does have more it plays better within Sebling than Cervania? No, I, I don't. But um, I think it's pretty clear that. At, at this point, that that position, that linking eight position on the right side, usually, 
that the coach seems unsatisfied with it and he's searching for something. I, I think I think Brandon is currently the better player, but I certainly see some things in Siki that I can understand why he's trying him and giving him opportunities. Um, they are they are different players. Brandon does more progression through his passing and he and he covers more. He covers ground more intelligently. See, he does more defending by effort because he's not quite reading the game correctly. That's why he fouls so much. Um, and he does his progression usually by these pickup turns and dribbles, as you say, often not recognizing that he's not being pressed. Um, you know, so there's different qualities to them. If you could combine them into one player, I think coach would like him a lot better. Or if you could clone Paxton, you know, get two guys to play that way. But he, right now he doesn't. And ho- hopefully there's a point at which Cervania might get a fire lit under him. So, Because as much as I like Brandon, I think he's a very, very good player. I think he has not been consistent this year. I think he's been a little up and down. Um, and coach is probably looking for a little more something in there that, that has some characteristics that Siki has. So, um, And keep in mind, too, that this coach does like to change – things based on the personnel. And so he may have felt that there was something in the midfield that Siki could exploit. And maybe that's what showed up in the, in his movement that we hadn't, that I hadn't seen before. Maybe that was that effort to take advantage of that exploitation certainly could have caused that, you know, and it didn't work out in terms of getting a result, but you know, maybe that was what was happening there. It's entirely possible. I could certainly believe it. So I think that position definitely is in competition for sure. All right. Side note. Y'all remember back in the day, speaking of merging two players to make a better single player, do you remember back in the day when we used to openly wish that we could merge Abe Thompson's soccer brain with Kenny Cooper's body? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or TEDx brain with anybody else, pretty basically. <laughs> hey, yeah. hey! Yeah. That's Mount Everest stuff you're talking about there, It was a little there, slow Mr. late the, in the day there. The great TED yeah. effort. Oh, yep. my gosh. He's a great. Uh, so, but I think what we should generally comment on is that there really isn't an aspect of this team that has been playing well, not the defense, not the midfield, not the attack. And there is a kind of like uh, a team-wide malaise that has yeah. fallen over the crew, over the over the group uh, over the last uh, nine or what? I guess how many games is this now? Seven, eight games. Yeah, the last seven games have been particularly bad. I, and uh, the problem is, is it's, it can be, without being in the locker room in these kind of situations, it can be really difficult to tell what's going on. Um, the, remember in 2017, we had the same discussions all the time. We'd say, well, what is going on with this team? Why is it falling apart? And only in hindsight when the season ended did we, did we kind of think we could figure it out. So right now it's hard to know. I think the, I think the initiating difficulty was, for the most part, the the – the, the bleeding of the goals where because of the problems with the center backs in terms of injuries or consistency or whatever else, they started letting in a lot more goals than they were before. And that's the, that's a big issue. And and once you start to have that happen, you sort of lose faith in your ability to keep things out and you sort of, okay, now we got to play more conservatively. We got to stop the bleeding again. And that dries up your offense. Guys aren't being as aggressive going forward. They're tending to sit back more. And I think the last, the latter part of the game, you really saw that. They're so afraid now of blowing a lead that they went into a really defensive shell and not the formation. I was okay with the formation that they chose. And I was even okay with Edwin, although maybe you could have brought Brandon in there and kept a little more progression, but they, they went into a very conservative sort of sit back and don't attack kind of vibe and they paid for it. You know, sometimes it can be really difficult to change the mentality of an entire organization when lots of little things are going wrong and you can't get it going right the right direction. It becomes very difficult to alter that flow. 
It is also a pretty bad situation when your big dollar European center back apparently can't handle Texas summer. Yeah, I mean, and and I'm and I'm referring to Martinez who who had to leave at halftime, and I'm going by what uh, you know Dallas own guy Garrett said on the broadcast, which was he was pulled due to heat sickness, heat yeah. exhaustion. And again, by the way, the, the, I, I swear I heard him say again, which means I, I guess this happened earlier in the season, and maybe that's the reason why he missed uh, the previous game. Yeah. But that's a problem if he can't handle the Texas heat. Yeah, that was the implication was that when he had when he missed a game for illness, you know, the game before, basically, that that's what the illness was. And, and if you, like any of us, if you grew up playing here, you know what that illness is. It's that overheat exhaustion illness that makes you, gives you all that intestinal issues or whatever. You know, I, I certainly have been there in my past playing outside in 105 degree weather. Uh, Peter, I bet you have too. So, you know, it's something that all of us are familiar with. You would hope that the club would be able to manage it better. And it's very possible that, you know, the heat in general ramping up now is now getting to everybody. This team, this club works. We were, this is the thing that I was worried about from the beginning of the year when he talked about the new training habits that this club was instilling, this coach was instilling. How's it going to hold up when it's 100 degrees? And I'd hate to think that maybe that's what we're seeing, that we're seeing some of the symptoms of what happens when you try and train at that intensity. Because remember, we talked about that. People mm-hmm. called it like a focus or an intensity or drill to drill to drill to drill without laying around and reco- you know having as much recovery or off time in training. It shortens the session and makes it more focused. Maybe it overworks you and maybe it burns you out a little bit in the heat. So it's going to be something to watch because historically July is a good month, but summers are generally speaking across the board bad around here. And it's like this could be the beginning of an early bad summer. You know, I, I hope that's not the case. Well, it is the thing that we've talked about. If you've lived in Dallas for any length of time, the effect of the summer, the Dallas summer on sports teams. The Rangers uh, were subject to it. We've talked about it with this team forever, the Cowboys to a degree, before they moved into their new place. It it does beg the question if the Hunts should consider um, building their own version of the star, uh, you know, an indoor facility that they could train in uh, during this part of the year. I it, it there were very weird moments during that game where Miami looked like the vastly more energetic team and and for a place that we all think Dallas should benefit from the advantage of being used to the heat just don't seem to be there. Yeah, we that's actually a question we've been raising for over a decade is should they make some sort of indoor practice facility because you can be used to the heat because of your normal work or training outside a couple of days a week but you don't have to do it all every single day. You know, and I think they probably would benefit from it, but that's a lot of money. I mean, you're asking the club to spend, you know, a couple million bucks probably to build something like that. You know, it's not. They also have like, you know, access to the performance indoor training center that's across the road. They've used it plenty of times in the summer before. They've also, you know, previously we've seen them vary up the the times of practices, move into an evening schedule. Right now, they're kind of sticking to the mornings and. I mean, from from covering that um, that MLS Next Cup uh, last week, you know, nine o'clock, it was hitting a hundred degrees already. Yeah, it does. It does beg the question if Nico's unfamiliarity with this region's weather is, you know, a shortcoming. And 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 you'd like to think somebody that was a a, a layover from the yeah. previous uh, coaching staff said, Hey, just so you know, this gets really, really bad starting in June. You may want to account for it. 
I maybe that hasn't like Feruzzi, for example. <laughs> yeah. Well, they finally have moved training up to 9 a.m. from 10:30, so at least they're doing some of it. So we'll we'll see if they move it up even earlier. You know, trying to combat this. Uh, so I think, I, I do think we can spend a lot of time overthinking, you know, what is right or what's wrong with this particular team. But Buzz, I do at the end of the day feel most strongly that the biggest problem with the team, uh, assuming that you can figure out your center back situation, we've talked about the, the, that problem in defense quite a bit, but at the end of the day, the biggest problem with this team is uh, the thing that we've been worried about for a while, which is this this idea that because this formation and the tactics that Nico has decided to use isn't a high chance creation uh, system, it's not like they're creating tons of chances, that they really are dependent on guys finishing those chances. And we've worried what happens when Jesus doesn't score, and now... Ariola had two, three really good opportunities that just didn't go the way they had for him prior to, you know, previous games in the season. We're really starting to see the effects of what happens when those uh, those gears aren't turning correctly. Yeah, we've been talking about that all season, that Dallas was getting a, you know, not a high volume of shots. And they ended the game with 11, which is, that's quite low for a home team, considering Miami had 15 you know, you want you would want your home team to be fifteen to twenty, and your road team to be ten or eleven. That's what you're shooting for. Um, and again, five of the shots on goal are, are for Dallas are on are on target. So that's you know vaguely in the neighborhood of fifty percent. So that's pretty efficient. And, and and we talked about a couple of weeks ago that Dallas is on this incredibly efficient rip this season of you know how many shots they take to get a goal. And it's, you know, it was the all-time best number by a long way. And it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to maintain that. Now, the the upside was if you're into the XG kind of thing, I don't believe they were outperforming their XG very highly. No, so not they were by doing, much. Yeah, so they were actually doing a really good job of getting into good scoring positions and converting those those from those positions. They weren't getting a high volume of them, but they were getting a really good rate on them. You know, and, and lately we've seen that rate, it seems like, fall off. I haven't done a deep dive into those numbers, but certainly when you're talking about 11 shots on goal and five of them are on target, that's still really efficient. But your only one came from a free kick and not from the run of play. And I think it was the first, uh, it's, uh, excuse me, um, Velasco has two goals from free kicks this year, and it's the first two like in several years or something. <laughs> You know, and Jesus had one from a free kick too. So it's actually the run of play goals that are drying up even more so because their 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 goal totals being propped up a little bit by those free kicks. You know, so it, that is a disturbing trend. You know, you need to get 11's not a high enough volume. You need to get that back up a little bit. You know, but so far, not a terrible underperformance of the XG, which is why I go back to the idea of you just didn't create enough opportunities in this game. You weren't able to break down the Miami mid to low block again, something I've struggled with again. And clearly I think Peter, as you said, just a weeks ago, that's the way to play against yeah. Dallas, you know, and we talked about Miami might be that the schedule has a bunch of teams that don't do that, but we looked at Miami and said, well, there's a team that I bet you will do it. And sure enough, they did. So it'll be interesting to see what happens as we go forward in the schedule against teams who normally don't play that way. If any more of them adapt to this philosophy, because it does seem to be so effective against the current version of Dallas. 
Yeah, well, what's most concerning was that Miami was able to roll out kind of a, 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 a an iffy lineup to to execute that plan, and yeah. it was then able to throw on their quote-unquote better players with 20 minutes left and really just kept turning the screw. I mean, I, you know, frankly, I came away feeling somewhat uh, relieved that they only gave up the, 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 the draw. I was convinced that Miami was going to put two or three away yeah. uh, at some point in the last few minutes of the game. They yeah, have. yeah, they should have. They, it, yeah, they should have. Yeah, yeah. It, it was funny watching Iguain. I was like, "That's actually a guy who's more immobile than Frank O'Hara." <laughs> <laughs> it was unbelievable. That dude can barely run. I was like, "Holy cow!" Yeah. That's yeah. a weird story. Uh, and now they're gonna, you know, that'll be interesting to see how that team changes uh, when they get Pozuelo uh, as that yeah. deal with uh, Toronto. That could really change uh, that team's fortunes quite a bit. Uh, total side comment: I'm gonna stop down the podcast for a little bit of kit talk. I was shocked yes. when I saw that the league had decided to assign as in a kit assignment Dallas in their red and Miami in their pink. But I got to admit, that actually wasn't too bad. That actually worked out quite well. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Technically, that's light versus dark for these two teams. But you, you almost felt like, like on paper, like I going in, I might have said any of the other possibilities might have been a little better. Like, because Miami's other thing is black. So you might have thought black versus red would be better or black versus blue. That might have been the best one. Or the blue versus the pink. But then when I actually saw it in person, I thought, no, actually, the red versus pink is not bad. And the blue versus pink would have been terrible. <laughs> that would have really washed out. <laughs> well, so, it, it it helps. It it does help that it's all pink, right? So yeah. Dallas's navy socks and shorts really help uh, break that. You know, provide the best contrast with the pink. I thought. Yeah, Dallas has the ability to change their socks at least, and they can make it a more of a dark looking vibe. Uh, and actually, I was actually thought it, it, watching. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, that, that that I actually really enjoyed the pink versus red. I thought it was going to wash out, and it was it was fine. Yep, I like the pink kits. I'm glad Miami's finally wearing them. They're oh, sharp. it's so much better than the first pink one they made that was basically like pale white, and this one is actually pink. It's and pretty- Victor looks rather resplendent in it, by the way. <laughs> he does as look much as it pains can. me to say it, the greatest FC Dallas story of all time looks actually really kick-ass in uh, Miami's pink kits. All right, back to the game itself. Other question, Dan, I'm going to let you uh, comment on what we now can officially say is Nanu's giant bag of nothing. Yeah, that was the comment on it. <laughs> That's all you got? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Yeah, I know. He wasn't damaging, but he wasn't didn't do anything. Oh, I, how many positive? times did that dude turn the ball over in the worst possible place on the field? The teams in transition going forward, and he over dribbles or makes a bad five yard pass. I stopped counting at like five of those in the first half. Okay, uh, 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 the word "damaging" wasn't necessarily correct. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, it was one of those ones that I was watching. I mean, I only just watched it. I kind of had to watch it on fast forward after I got home from, from work. And uh, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I mean, it's not like it, he could be worse. And that's probably the best thing I can say about him. Well, you know, here's the deal. Neither him or Emma are making decisions quickly enough in in getting rid of the ball. And that's Emma's big Emma has two big problems. One is is that Emma over-dribbles the ball trying to cut around people, and two, he just doesn't make uh, fast enough decisions. 
but he but he doesn't at least as much as Nanu does just turn the ball over in the worst possible effing place on the field that I just got I oh, I just couldn't I couldn't believe that he didn't sub him out cuz he was playing so poorly in my mind and especially after he moonshotted that cross early in the first half so what you're trying to say is the difference is Nani gives up the ball close to goal. Emma gives up the ball in the opposition half, stands there and watches it as the other team break downfield. Yes, yeah, something like that. Although I think Nanu turns the ball over in midfield when the team is in transition going forward and forcing everybody to freak out and have to run back because they weren't anticipating losing the ball so easily at midfield. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, neither of them really keep, uh, keep look after the ball well. I mean, it's it's been kind of disappointing. You've got a, a wing convert and a guy that has played a little bit of wing, although primarily as an attacking fullback, and neither of them seem to be able to understand how to actually advance the ball forward and and look after it. It it is it is surprising that we're this far into the season and right back is a position of concern, Buzz. Yeah, it, it is an issue. Um, you know, I, I, I've probably stated my case on Nanu many times. You know, even if you felt like he was better than Ima, and I, and I can't I can't flat out tell you that he is. There's a couple things that he does a little bit better. But, you know, the price and the international slot and all that stuff makes it not – isn't there isn't worth the tiny bit better that he might be. You know, I think Ima is a better defender unquestionably. You know, Nanu stat-wise has – some better things, but he also makes a whole lot of mistakes on the defensive side. He only had one successful dribble. And this is a guy that's supposed to be this attacking player where he's taking on dudes. I think he had like five duels or something. You know, it's just, it's just not there. He's just passively playing in the game when you're, when when you're expecting a guy who's going to bring some sort of, well, not Brian Reynolds, that would be ridiculous, but that kind of flavor that he's supposed to be getting forward and attacking and combining and crossing and that kind of stuff. He's not doing any of it. He's just hanging out back there and he rarely tracks aggressively. Like the last time he played, like both of the goals, not not this particular game, but the game before, both of the goals that happened, he didn't really run with a guy who came from his side. He kind of just jogged along behind him, you know, and that's exposing half of your defense. And to me, that's like, that's a ridiculous, all right, get him out of there. I was, why waste your time? I think we're at a point where it should just be Ema the whole way. And I actually think it's a position they should address in the window. Well, I don't mean to dogpile on the guy, but can anybody tell me or remind me of any, like, significantly top quality attacking play that he's done over the course of this season. Like I literally, does he have a, does he have an assist recorded on the season? I don't know. B can anybody just clearly remember a play that he made in the attacking half of the field that went, everybody went, Ooh, that's actually pretty cool. Or that's really high quality. Like I don't, I just don't, was, rem- I don't have any recollection of that this season. There was one of his earliest games. He, I think it might have been his first game. He missed the sitter, and then he had this like <laughs> crazy run down the right-hand side and put this great cross in. He actually does have two assists recorded. I couldn't does tell he you really? which yeah. games they're from. But I wonder if they're secondary assists. It's, fine, it's, it's possible, but you know, I, I, he also only has like five tackles you know, and a couple of clears. You know, I, I, I'm with Dan. I remember like the very first game or two, he may have had like these attacking forays where he was popping up in the box and he was getting balls across the box from the side. You know, that obviously was in a time frame where Dallas was playing a lot better. 
And now they're in this negative mentality and this sitting back mentality and trying not to let goals in mentality. He's an attacking player, not a defensive player. I'm sure the idea, I'm just assuming, is you're struggling to get past this block. He's a guy who, in theory, should be able to go by and attack and get down the wing and combine and get some balls in behind their defense. Yeah. None of that happened. He only had three crosses in this game. I mean, granted, that led the team, but... You know, for a guy that's supposed to be, I mean, we don't expect that out of Farfan. Farfan's not that guy, right? Farfan's a defensive first guy. Farfan's got 10 presses and Nanu has four. Well, that's what you would expect, you know, but Nanu, you know, when he's supposed to be this get forward guy, you want these, you want these dribbles and to, and more of them and to be successful. You want these duels and to be successful. You want these crosses and to be successful. And it's, they're not, they're not, nothing's happening there. And maybe it's a byproduct of, the offense being a little stagnant these days because of the, the, the current state wow. of the team. But it's like he's being brought in and starting games in order to try and combat some of that stuff, and he's not doing it. you know. And I, everybody knows I'm a Nanu hater anyway, so they're always going to Well, no, right. Buzz, it's not the offense's yeah. fault when he's breaking the windshields of Toyota trucks yeah. on the stage with those crosses. <laughs> You know, yeah, that's yeah. that's completely on him, 100% on him. <laughs> that's true. So this, you know, it's funny. We did talk about this a little bit last week, and and at least I think it was last week that you that we brought this up. But the idea of trying to help uh, protect the two center back situation, and obviously when Martinez leaves because he's he can't handle the heat, and Tafari's coming on, and maybe Hedges is still a little banged up, the sure. throwing on of of um, of Edwin to uh, pair up in kind of a double pivot isn't something that we've seen a lot. We talked about it last week, and you even said, well, they don't do that. Yeah. So it was a little surprising to see them uh, roll that out. Well, I, I thought it was funny that I joked that uh, Faku plays holding mid like Carlos Valderrama, you know, stands in a 20-yard circle. And and you pointed out to me that he probably has to because of the yeah. center back. And I was like, oh, that's a really excellent point. He definitely, like, because earlier in the year, he's not been that way. In this game, he was very static to my eye, sitting right in front of the center backs. And knowing what's wrong with the center backs, okay, I can sort of understand that philosophy. And you're right. we have. I cannot remember a previous occasion where they've gone to a double pivot. It was clearly a 4-2-3-1 when Edmund came in. The, I, the the possible thought I had that to make it have, maybe could have made it a little more progressive was that you could have brought Brandon. And remember, Brandon Cervania has played some six for people. So he can do that, and he's a more progressive passer than Edwin. So maybe that might have been a different choice you could have been there. But, like, specifically, I didn't think it was a really terrible idea. You know, the four two three one compresses to, like, a four five one almost when you want to defend in it. And if Miami's attacking those wide spaces, it can, you can have an extra guy kind of out there to help cover up a little bit, you know. And if you're having trouble with your center backs, it's providing coverage right in front of your center backs. So strategically, the tactical formation I actually liked ended up not working. Sometimes things just don't work, you know. I mean, people end up getting beat on the outside. It doesn't mean it was a bad idea. I actually thought Edmund was okay. I mean, I didn't think Edmund was poor uh, in that position. I mean, I haven't looked at his defensive actions, but it seemed like he was doing a, you know, the job he's supposed to be doing in the place he was supposed to be doing. He had two intercepts, you know, in ten minutes or whatever, and, and a block. So it's not like he wasn't doing his job. You well, know, it's just somebody no, on the no. outside got beat. Well, yeah. D- let's let's get to the goal here in a second. But what did 
dramatically change was one Miami put on some better players and really turned up. The oh heat. yeah. Yeah. But the changes that Nico put on didn't really, didn't help the team, at least in terms of being able to keep and progress the ball and get back into Miami's half of the field. I mean, let's just admit Dallas spent the last 20 minutes of that game yeah. doing nothing but defending. And, and when you're at home against Miami, that's not a good look, Buzz. Yeah, this is what we talked about. They don't have enough options uh, stylistically on the bench. Like, he went into this more of a defensive stance trying to close the game out. They have a lead. They bring in Obreon to try and be the guy that can get behind the defenses and do some damage because you're now you're coming from a low block trying to counter. You know, so that idea sort of works. You, you go into a 4-2-3-1, and you, to, in order you put Paxson as the 10, that forces Jesus to stay high. You know, so ho hopefully he and Obreon are, are going to be getting forward and doing some things. And none of that really happened. They they sort of went into a passive sort of stance. And in the end, they ended up having to go with Munjoma as a wing, which ought to tell yeah, you, like, they weird. were, yeah, they were out of, uh, but, you know, at least Munjoma is a vertical guy who can get forward and get behind defenses, you know? So I'm sure that was what he was thinking. But the fact that you have to use Munjoma for it, and only like his second minutes of the year and a guy who really is not a winger, even though they've done that with him in training before when they're running out of bodies. You know, it's again, it's another sign of the fact that the, that the roster is not constructed exactly like this coach would want to. We're going to get to this more later, but it's another sign that there's a, an issue there that that was your only option after Obreon uh, to get that sort of vertical component. Well, and he and is and to be fair to Eddie, he had a couple of really nifty little moments uh, in the game in Miami's end of the field. They didn't turn anything. I, I specifically remember a really bad decision on Obreon's part that killed a good opportunity. And I obviously remember the two opportunities that Ariola had that he didn't convert. But it was Eddie Manjoma who I think this is all a byproduct of Farfan having cramps, where he ended up getting forced over to the left side yeah. of the field. And was tracking back on uh, the Miami player. I can't remember his name. That ends up just, you know, gobbling yeah. him up alive on the end line. And then Farfan tries to block it, and then it goes in. And then, of course, yeah. Tafari is not positioned very well uh, on his mark, and the guy just too Campania just too easily heads it in to, for the tying goal. Well, this is the thing about killing games: is the killing games is often not actually about the moment where the goal actually happens. It's about things that happen earlier. The O'Brien bad decision. It's about the fact that there is no substitute for Farfan, and he started every single game, and now so now he's cramping, and because he's burning out, right? Hedges is banged up. They had actually switched uh, center backs, so Hedges was actually over on that side, and because he's banged up, he's not a hundred percent. He doesn't get there. You know, there's a confluence of things that happen, uh, and, and and how you kill off games that are that are required that aren't just the exact moment of the goal. And uh, the best example I can think of and, uh, is to go back to the way Jesse Gonzalez used to kill off games. Now, he was really heavy-handed at it, and he would get in all trouble all the time, <laughs> but he would also do a good job of that, of the falling on the ball and rolling around and kicking it further out of bounds than it needed to be and going and getting the wrong ball. And a lot of these little things, you know, that you need these. Th think about how U.S. teams in general – fair against CONCACAF or South American competition or how Dallas used to get beat up by these teams in CONCACAF because they had no idea how to deal with all these shenanigans and histrionics you need sometimes at the end of games to kill them off. You know, sometimes it's over the top, but Dallas, this current Dallas version again has to learn again because it happens. You have to learn it again every couple of years. 
how to kill off these games. They're not used to being in a lead the last couple of seasons. So it takes a lot of these weird, it's the, it's the run the ball to the corner by the flag and sit on it kind of stuff. You know, however you want to do it, there's lots of ways to do it, but uh, they didn't do a good job of all those other things to kill the game. Well, and Mark uh, Followell even commented that I believe I'm correct in repeating that Mark brought out the stat that Dallas now leads the league and lost leads. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. I think there's this. I think this was what Dan, their fourth or fifth lost lead of the season. Was that correct? Where they ended up dropping points? I think it was third or fourth. Yeah. No bueno. As no bueno. They say. Yeah, no bueno. No bueno whatsoever. Uh, the the other parts of the game. Anything? I thought you know. Pause. I thought Paz actually looked uh, really good. He came out and caught some balls in traffic that I hadn't seen him do before. Uh, it was a note that I had. Um, Velasco, I saw a lot of people afterwards uh, commenting that they thought Velasco played, quote, really well. Mm. And other than the free kick, which I think was equal parts just really shitty goalkeeping, by the way, um, nicely placed ball, but that is how he ends up getting beat <laughs> on the far post like that is really a mystery to me. But whatever, kudos to him. I just, I, I don't think, you know, I, and I saw some comments from him and the coach about, you know, Velasco's progress and just, you know, time and everything. But I still have not seen uh, him live up to any sort of uh, expectations that we had after his opening day. Yeah. I think, uh, go ahead, Dan. As on side of the goal, you can pretty easily put down the keeper positioned himself for a left-footed shot. Yeah. There wasn't a left-footed player there. No, uh, it was the weirdest thing. And I had noticed I mean, that. <laughs> Velasco, yeah, I mean, he missed a sitter around in the first 15 minutes got put yep. through around a defender and just passed it to the goalkeeper. He had God knows how many, uh, got, you know, did his usual just losing balls where there was really an easy outlet pass or an easy run to make. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I think it's kind of ludicrous to say he played well. I uh, There's one of the components of the game I thought we should give a little bit of love to, um, I know Jesus for you, Peter came back way too much, but he had five key passes in this game. Oh that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there was, you know, while he had some, I wish he would stay a little higher. There were only three other key passes for the entire team. Faku had two and Paxton had one and Jesus had five. That means Jesus is doing a lot of the good work and making, putting balls in the right places for people. Cause it, you get a key pass when you create a scoring opportunity. So, uh, he played while well, he wasn't my man of the match, mainly because of the idea that he was coming way too back, as you mentioned, and and plus the way Siki jumped out at me. But I think Jesus actually had a pretty good game, all things considered. He is the man around here right now, pretty much. Him and Paxton, well, you know. I, I, yeah, I, I think that there, it's pretty clear to me that over the course of the last three or four weeks, uh, Jesus has changed into a different gear that puts him, uh, elevates him into another tier uh, of player status in my mind like there's a, a real yeah. edge and determination of uh, I'm not gonna let uh, he's trying really hard yeah. to be the man and he is the man uh, um, but it in this game in particular 
to you, I think to your earlier comment, I think he did it overdid it a little bit because yeah. I'm not sure the team is good enough to overcome the idea that their best goal scorer is 50 yards back downfield trying to yeah. create the play. That's not what he's there to do. He, he's trying to do too much. Yeah, because he is because he does think of himself now as like this is his team. In a lot of ways, I agree with that. You know, he's developing this mentality like his dad had, where it's like, okay, guys, come with me. I'm going to take you with me. You know, and I love that. Now he overreaches a little bit. You want it to be a little bit more of a uh, that vibe through leadership and like a, a Leonel Alvarez kind of I'm going to grab this team and take it with me kind of vibe, and a little less like I'm going to go do all the individual passing myself and dribble through ten guys. But uh, I agree with you 100 percent that like the last month or so, like as this thing has gone sideways a little bit. You can see, t- t- and I think you can see in the way he carries himself that he's decided, yeah. like, I'm going to step up here and be a leader and try and rally this team around me. And and I, I actually really love that. I don't think it's worked 100%, but he's busting his ass and playing some really good soccer and, and, and as you say, doing a little too much in this game. But he was, I mean, I, th- I think on uh, just on the stats alone, I could tell you that he was definitely Dallas's best player, even though I didn't pick him to be man of the match. All right. So considering the team over the course of these last, uh, I guess we're now seven or eight games, is one, four, and two, as we commented, is now fallen down to, I think, their fifth uh, in the table, and at least in the Western Conference, and they've got a, a mother of a schedule coming up. they got to go to Houston in the debut of uh, Eche, yep. who apparently is a secret Satanist, according at least by his, his repeated hand signals of the devil horns that he <laughs> likes to use. Convinced. Sorry. Either that or he's in, inaccurately trying to woo all the Longhorn fans uh, with the wrong hand signal. But whatever, yeah. we'll figure that out later. Then, they yeah. got a, then they've got uh, NYCFC coming to town. Then they got uh, Austin coming to town, and that's going to be a smoking game because, I look, we just got to be honest, Austin is uh, uh, doing it, man. They're yeah. playing yeah. well. They're winning games. They're pushing everybody else. Uh, they're falling behind in games and coming back and winning. And I don't really know how good that team really is. But, hey, Maxi Rudy scored after July 1st, so something's going right there. So yeah. And they got and it's a bit of a beating after that. So the question I, I was pondering, Buzz, and, Dan, I would love your insight as well, too, do you think Nico is setting this team up for success with the tactics and formation that he has been using? Uh, I think that it's a process. And I think God that he. Damn it, Buzz. I'm going to reach through this yeah. thing and punch <laughs> you and choke you yeah. if you use that line. Well, I think that I think you have to go back to that to think about where his mentality is. I think the first half of the season was a, here's how I want to play. I'm going to play that way with what I have, and I'm going to stick with it, and I'm going to see how it goes, and I'm going to see where I am and what my problems are. So uh, I think that because he's been so dedicated to this particular shape and tactics formation, I think he thinks that that's the way to go in the long run with the players that he thinks are his best players. So I do think that the formation and the tactics are, are good, I like the way they play. I don't worry about it in terms of the heat as as much as I do the thinness of the roster, that there's some guys that there is no other player that can play that spot. That's, uh, for me, the bigger concern. My concerns are all roster concerns, not not the tactics. I, I love the way he's instilled the ability to shift formations mid-game without any hesitation, shift in and out of formations even. They've actually scored goals because they've quickly shifted one to the other. 
I like the idea that they sometimes are shifting formations from defense to offense as they transition. I really like all that stuff. So I don't have any complaints. The one worry was the, the are, are they overdoing it in training and are they going to burn out? I, we're going to find out over the long run whether that's what happened or not. Um, it's hard to know. Obviously, the center back injuries is a problem right now, and uh, and that I mean, it's what a what a freak moment that you had five center backs all banged up at the same time. So that's that's unfortunate, but um, for the most part, they've been injury free this year. So it's only recently biting them. Speaking of which, Dan, since the uh, went transfer window is nigh. Is there any anything on the horizon that Dallas is going to be making any moves, additions, or and or subtractions in this window? Certainly hope so. Uh, you know, we're looking at uh, a pretty short set of centre backs. Uh, Paxton starting every game so far. He's going to need time off at some point. Uh, you know, you'd, you'd love to see some some depth at nine. Buzz mentioned right back it's still an issue um you know there's there's definitely definitely needs for this team that you hope now that other teams are starting to make moves and the window opens uh on thursday that that they start moving around a little bit Buzz, yep. uh, since he brought it up, I'm just going to ask the question: What in the world is going on with Thomas Roberts and uh, Shabelik Shone? Yeah, I, I don't know. That's a and good I apologize question. if I mispronounced his first name. Yeah, Shabelik or last Shun. name for that. Name. Yeah, Shabelik. Um, I don't. I don't really know. When you when you talk to Nico about players like that, he will say um, a lot of coach isms you know he, he gives you real <laughs> answers but he gives you these uh, like you know they're oh they're working hard they got some things they're working on they're getting close to being involved all that kind of stuff none of that really tells me like why they're not playing the bottom line is that for whatever reason they're not in the coach's decision and those two guys in particular are related to this greater idea of the rotation that's a problem right now and what that means is if you watch nba or whatever other sports people will know that i think you guys know what this means but i'm gonna go over it anyway the rotation is the players who actually get into games. And in this particular case with this coach, this is the shortest rotation I've ever seen in Dallas. He has a basic starting 11. There's only two positions that are really, sorry, three positions are really up for grabs, right? So we know Velasco, Ferreira, Ariola, Pomico, Farfan, Martinez, Hedges, and Paz are all playing if they're healthy. You have your Facundo edwin combination. You have your Siki-Brandon combination and your Nanu um, combination with uh, Ema. So past those dudes, you have Frank O'Hara, who comes in a lot, O'Brien comes in a lot, and Tafari comes in a lot. And then you obviously you would count Jimmy Mauer as a second keeper in there, even though it's only been two games. So that leaves you a whole bunch of dudes that never play. Quinones <laughs> was close. Well, he had five subs before he got hurt, so maybe he's on the verge. But Khalil's played three games, so he's not in. That was Eddie's second game, so he's not in. Benny has one game. Lucas Bartlett has zero. Thomas Roberts has zero, and Shun has zero. Plus, Carrera's Wait, on. Shun hasn't showed. Has hasn't played a, at all this season. No, just not. A I thought he. Yeah, cup game. I, oh, that's what yeah. I'm remembering from. Wow. Plus, plus Carrera's on loan. Che's on loan. Hernandez is on loan. Parker's basically on loan. Seeley's on loan, and Colin Smith is on loan. So that's. Seven five. That's a, a twelve players that aren't playing at all out of thirty. 
That's the shortest roster I've That's ever half seen. Half your roster. It's, yeah. Well, it's not half, well, but it's, it's not, a uh, it's close. a third. It's over a third of your roster is not playing. That's re- unbelievable. So you have to look at the guys that aren't playing and like, okay, can I get in guys that are going to play? You're going to have to get guys that are going to play. We're already seeing burnout. We're already seeing guys that can't get subbed out. Farfan and Pomacall in particular can't get subbed out. There's no one else to play those spots. Something has to happen. So a bunch of those kids are on loan. You can't count them. And a couple of got like, you can go down the whole list, right? Elmed Kurum and Joma are homegrowns, but they're getting kind of long in the leash for college guys. Roberts hasn't played since he came back. And Shabulk Shun is non-existent as near as I could tell. But of all these guys I just named, Shun is the only one that's on the senior roster. He's the only one that has a cap hit. He's the only one that doesn't have some kind of roster protection. You know, he has, he has the U22 thing, but it's like you're talking about a couple of dudes there, El Medcour, Munjoma, Redzik, Shun, Roberts, those guys that are not contributing at all. Now, you might like some of those guys. I might like some of those guys. Clearly, this coach does not. Yeah. Does he, you know, so is it like, can you develop them? Maybe, but the problem is, is that like you, you, you've got five guys that are playing on your bench. That's not near enough. And it's why you're getting this burnout. They're going to have to do something. Now, according to my count, and they never cl- clarify this crap, but according to my count, they have two open roster spots on the senior roster because the last couple of years, they've been running at 18 instead of 20, but they've always only carried the 18. They've never got, like, it's been like three or four years since they've gone over the 18. So I don't know whether they just decided they couldn't or what. So it may be that they don't consider those spots open. And so if you're going to bring guys in, you got to get rid of some guys. And the Shun to me is the obvious one, unless you're going to dump somebody like Roberts, who you think you're going to develop or Lucas Bartlett, who was your number six overall pick or a couple of homegrowns, you know, or guys that just got here like Quinones or something. So something for sure has to give. And I think you need three or four players in this window, not just one or two. I think you need three or four. You know, because as Dan said, something at the nine because Frekohar is ancient. Benny can't. Benny's not playing, obviously. I think you need another wing because you have one wing. You have Obreon, and that's it. None of these other wings are playing, so you need a wing. You need an eight, at least to somebody that can spell Pomacall and maybe somebody that could actually beat out Sylvania or Siki. If you want to be better, you, that spot's got to be better, that Brandon Siki spot. Right back. If you want to be better, that spot's got to be better. Maybe you can get through the season with Facundo and Edwin. That's probably fine. And But past Nicosi, what have we seen out of Quinones? A little, but we haven't seen anything out of Bartlett. So it's like, to me, center back. So it's like, that's like four or five spots. They're going to have to do something or they're going to end up out of the playoffs. Well, it's such a nice time for, uh, for you to have sent the email with the Andre Zanata. Uh, spreadsheet oh, yeah. that you so so smartly put together, which yeah. tracks all of Mr. Zanata's uh, transactions since he arrived here uh, at the end of January of 2019. Holy cow! I had yeah. no idea he'd been here that long. He got hired got like a s- month after Lucci. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you ever want to share this uh, publicly, Buzz, but this is a good track record of everything that's gone down in his time. And it's interesting to me to note that there are a lot of successes or things that look really good in the moment for the 2022 season. Because prior to that, man, there is a whole lot of crap in this list yeah, uh, and names that I hadn't even thought about in a long time. I had forgotten about Philippe. Yeah, the goalkeeper. Yeah, I totally forgotten about him. Yeah, uh, Edwin Jassy. 
uh, well, I, mean, I will never forget Edwin Jossi. I can't. And I had forgot they picked Eric Alexander back up that yeah. same season. Yeah. I had totally forgotten about that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's an interesting list. But, yeah, it, it you know, uh, I think you at one point had commented either here or online that he's been down in Brazil. Yeah. Uh, I just assumed it was on vacation, but maybe he's actually doing some work. I hope he's doing some work because, uh, man, this team is in desperate need of help if they really do have uh, aims on a playoff spot this year. Yeah, the most surprising thing about that document was I sent it out and neither you or Dan replied. I thought for sure that would get a comment from you Oh, I thought, I thought I did reply. <laughs> I don't think I, so. Oh, I thought I. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I well here. If it makes any, uh, if it makes it feel <laughs> yeah. better, I really enjoyed reading this because I thought it was a great collection, uh, a summation yeah. of the of the dude's work so far. Um, man, yeah. I, I'd almost kind of wish you'd do this for uh, um, uh, for his predecessor because I think that would be an amazing list to read mm. too. Uh, all well, due respects. So. That would be a tough breakdown because it's hard to know how involved Muzi was with Calvillo and when he started taking over because Calvillo was sick. It's hard to get a definitive line there about, yeah, that's you true. know, so it, it would be a tough one. To, I'll, I'll, I'm going to put this up during the window. That's kind of why I did it. Um, it doesn't have any draft picks because that's not his, that's not him. That's Marco more than it is him. But uh, the list is interesting. <laughs> a lot of in and outs, guys that have come in and not worked out. It's, uh, it's he didn't kind of, br- yeah. He, he didn't bring in mascara? No. So that, that was a, um, uh, a, a, uh, Pareja and Muzi. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I thought yeah. he was. No, Mascara came in earlier. You know, the, even the, even for the 2019 season, Cobra Brisson and Brian Acosta were all done before Zanata was hired. You remember it was during the negotiations for Brisson that they met Zanata and began to like him and then asked him if he'd be interested in the gig. You know, and Cobra uh, and Aco- Brian right, Acosta right, was right. lined up by Oscar, tried to get Brian Acosta for a couple of seasons. Um, so, you know, it, he, he's responsible for, I mean, that 2019 year, not including homegrowns, Edwin Giassi in July is probably the first move that he was, you know, really okay. involved, which is not a good start you know, by any means. No, no. All right. Well, uh, Dallas won, Miami won. That certainly felt like a loss. I'm sure Miami will take that and fly home very happy with the result, especially as late as they turned that. Um, and maybe even in some uh, universe are pissed off that they didn't actually flat out win that game. Uh, the other thing I want, we talked about the window. Um, North Texas is here on the crayon list, Buzz. Yeah. Anything North Texas-y? Well, the first thing I want to say is like, I think it was last week I said that, North, that MLS Next Pro was terrible and worthless or whatever. I, I was talking about that in the context of Dallas's goals of it as a developmental bridge to the first team in terms of its actual play, it is a good entertaining brand of soccer and it's better than anything else in town other than FC Dallas. So I, that shouldn't, my rant about it stinking is not relative to like your enjoyment of some, everyone's ability to play. And I, so I wanted to say that because I felt like I trashed it when I feel like it's actually really a lot of fun to go see. Okay. So th- the two things I want to talk about was number one, they, they announced today some new rules for that league. <laughs> <laughs> and this and this is they're using this league as a tester MLS is they so haven't said that stupid yeah so the number one is that if a referee stops play for an on-field medical issue the player has to go off for three minutes now like all oh, he has to sit out like in the sin bin he can't just jump up and come right back in yeah they so wanna, no, 
yeah, yeah. There, there's some there's some specifics to this, right? Yeah, because I don't know if you've have you do, have you dove into the the full list of no. all of the okay. Yeah, so I've got uh, it in front of me. There's a lot of shenanigans involved, but the core of it is they don't want you to fake an injury, basically. Well, correct, yeah. and and the player is so if you have laid on the ground for 15 seconds and they require somebody to come on the field to treat you, you have to go off and you cannot come on for three minutes. Yeah. Now there are there are parts to this that are uh, that change the rule that mean that doesn't require the three minutes and there are versions but here's the thing that I, I find this to be uh, here's the complication in this so what that means to me is is that if you just want to get your opponent to, to uh, lose their best player for almost a certain amount of time uh, especially in a critical moment of the game all you got to do is just give them a good whack give a good whack yeah. Yeah, right? well, that's why they but, test these rules. <laughs> well, here's the, but that's my concern yeah. with the rule is I understand. Uh, here's the problem with with the rules in sports is sometimes you're trying to solve a problem, but then you create new ones. And this is the one to me where I feel like, guys, I know the intention is to quit time wasting. But what I'm worried it's going to create is a scenario where a guy that was honestly aggrieved is now being punished by not being let back on the field yeah. because he got kicked by an opponent. Yeah. It's a weird one. I mean, this is one of the ones I'm just like, we're just going to see how it goes. Cause I, I can totally see how people are going to mess with it the other way. Yeah. yeah. Now I think, I think a lot of people feel really good about that idea on the surface. That's my main concern. It's this other yeah. rule that just feels the like the one? biggest piece of fit. Sw- yeah. The second <laughs> yeah. rule that just feels like the biggest piece of Swiss cheese yeah. on the entire planet. Yeah. The second rule for everybody listening is that if you receive a red card, you now will serve your one game suspension. The next time you play the same team. So you want, you don't sit out the next game against, Mary sister Francis school of the blind you wait till you play the team that you got carded against so that basically like I'm assuming the idea there is that the team that uh was not carded you know doesn't doesn't isn't doesn't feel punished you know that they're they're losing their best player for the next game when it's like we should lose you should lose your player when you play us not some other team you know it's a weird one but uh yeah, I don't know what they're of, trying to I don't yeah. know what they're trying to solve with this or what 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 is it they're trying to fix? Dan, do you have any idea what they're trying to fix here with this rule change? Um, just trying to justify their salaries, I think. <laughs> well, it instantly raises questions about what if the next time you play that team is the next season and that player is not even on the team anymore? Does he have to wait till he comes back to that no, team like ten that, years later? And then so I can yeah, so the, a lot yeah. of people are saying that no, the in the if you go to the web page that they give you a link to and read the all the true definitions, it says this: all suspensions must be served during the same regular season except in the event a red card occurs on the final game of the regular season. Now, the problem with that is, is the question then, then becomes, well, if you don't play that team again before the end of the regular season, when do you uh, have to serve your suspension? Is it the last game of the season? Is it is it the next game because you know you're not going to play this other team again? And there's a whole bunch of other parts. Like if the, the it says the rule applies in the event a player is traded, there's even a really funny line in here. It's like it's almost as if these people are trolling us. It says that if a player does not serve their suspension because they're no longer eligible, uh, when they re- if they were to return to next pro, they would then have to serve it. It also then includes that if a player signs in a new 
new league, the suspension may also carry over. And the example yeah. given is if a player is transferred to Manchester United, then he <laughs> may be ineligible to participate in his first <laughs> EPL game. No, well, that rule obviously has to do with MLS. You can't transfer him. You can't loan him up to MLS and avoid the suspension, basically, is what that rule's for. <laughs> I feel like if if there was an international transfer, then they wouldn't get the international transfer certificate. So it's not a case of, like, they'd sign for United and just be suspended for a game. They wouldn't be able to sign for United. Yeah, it's a, like I this like I said, it's like a piece <laughs> yeah. of Swiss cheese. It's got all kinds of ridiculous holes in it. It does. It does. Um, it also says, by the way, Buzz, the rule does not apply to a player on loan from the club's first division affiliate. Oh. So if Dallas loans a player down to North Texas and they get a red card, they are not suspended for their MLS game. And the second yeah. group of player are amateur players. Oh, academy, yeah, that makes so sense. So academy kids are not then suspended from their academy. Oh, why even bother? Well, it's just they would be ineligible to play in the next MLS Next Pro. Yeah, it's, game it stays within the league you're in. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah, and they also travel. they also say that if you get a red card and then you are given supplemental um, a suspension, so you know instead yeah. of just a one game, you get a three game. You have to serve the one game against the team that you got, the, the offended team, but your additional games start with the next game on the schedule. Ah, there you go. How convoluted. I, I don't... Un Look, I get... I, get, I understand the ridiculousness of the three minutes for the guy going down on the field rule change. I think it's silly, but the red card suspension rule, I don't get the point to this. I don't understand it. Like, where in the world, when in the world have we ever sat around and just really bitched and moaned about the idea that somebody got a red card against your team and, yeah. and you're not going to benefit from that? I've never heard anybody ever bitch about that before. I, I, it just feels like they want to transfer the punishment to the next time you play that team, obviously. You know, so it's like if, if, Inter, if the guy from Inter Miami would have gotten a red card, Dallas doesn't want to see that dude sit out against Kansas City. They want to see that dude sit out against Dallas. So I, I kind of buy the 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 underlying idea of it, but it sure sounds like a convoluted mess trying to make that happen. I mean, that's just it's weird as well because it goes away from like the conventional way reserve teams work. Like, you know, most of the world, if uh, you know, Khalil plays for North Texas, picks up a red card. He's suspended for any game until North Texas plays another fixture, so he couldn't just go up back up to FC Dallas and play. I think North America is pretty unique in in just kind of okay. Well, you got suspended in the Open Cup. You're suspended for the Open Cup. You got suspended in uh, in MLS Next Pro. You're just suspended for that. So it's like it's meddling it kind of further in that direction, if anything. I just feel like it's the answer to a problem nobody can <laughs> Nobody about. asked for, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's yeah. kind of like the Hall of Fame at the stadium. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> at least that's entertaining for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so those are the two new MLS Next rules yeah. <laughs> that just came down earlier today. Sure and uh, yeah. so ridiculous. Very MLS-y, and I love it 
for that reason alone. All right. Well, the other thing I want to talk about with this team is, you know, we're now half a season into watching Pamaduka work. Uh, and based on his behaviors, I feel like I've drawn some conclusions about how they're using that team. Um, because there, there've been a lot of personnel decisions that have made me scratch my head. Uh, and I honestly think that, you know, you can look at that league and look at how good Dallas is compared to everybody else. They're in first place or they were last time I checked until they just got smoked last game. But, um, you know, they're, they're pretty, pretty good. They, they, they score a lot of goals. They defend pretty well. You know, they're, they're handling almost everything anybody else throws at them and they're doing it without a winning sort of focus cause making decisions on personnel sometimes that I find a little bit head scratchy. Like it's like, why is that guy playing? Why is that other dude playing in that spot? You know, he's not necessarily lining up every game with a win, 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 win kind of vibe. And what's happening. I'm pretty sure is that because of the level of play, they've, they've stopped completely FC Dallas sending players down there pretty much other than guys that are on full season, long-term loan project type stuff. It's all, you know, guys that are never going to play for the first team. There's no Khalil going down. There's no, I mean, they, they loan Nicky Hernandez out to San Antonio. In fact, instead of sending him down, you know, the other guys that they would, you'd say, why isn't Thomas Roberts going down? Why isn't Khalil going down? Because they've sort of given up the idea that that can help those guys. But what it can help are these 19 and 20 year olds. And that's the point is that if you watch that game, those games, and you think, why is that dude playing and not the other guy? Why is Blaine Ferry playing as a six instead of an eight? Well, they know what they have in Blaine Ferry. What they're trying to do is develop guys and work guys in positions, you know, that maybe is not their one they've played a lot, or they're trying to give guys minutes and develop guys that maybe wouldn't be the first choice if it was a playoff game, for example. So there's a much heavier development mentality with that side right now than there was under Eric Quill when they were in USL one. And it's related to the league, not being as good as USL one and the, and you can't get as much value for much better players. So you might as well use it for more of a developmental stepping stone for your 18 year old, 19 year old kids coming out of Academy, you know, whether they're a season or two out or these high schoolers you find or, or these looking for these gems in the rough, you know, so it's a different vibe and a different kind of team this year than it has been in the past. And, and I don't know that that means anything, but it is certainly interesting to me when you watch them play. It, it, it might help you understand why you see guys play that let in four goals against a dude that's never scored a goal before. <laughs> well, uh, and and just for the update on the pod, have you yet to meet him in person? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've met you him. Have yeah, I've met him, but I've not had a conversation. You know, I just like through the fence. Hey, how you doing? Like that was it. I've never actually gotten to talk to the guy. You guys didn't like hug through the fence or anything no, like he that. He doesn't know who I am. Are you kidding? Uh, who doesn't know who the good buzz character oh, is? Oh, lots of people don't. Oh, <laughs> mm. uh, okay. it was so funny watching uh, a couple of the youth games with Buzz the other week. People were just coming up. Hey, you Buzz? Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, when Buzz puts out that stuff about the kids, the kids all huddle around before practice and they read it on their phones and they talk about how Buzz mentioned them. And it's a thing, dude. You're- I'm, I'm actually surprised I have more people don't tell me I'm full of shit because I, you know, usually when I put something like that out, I get one person. Each time, you know, maybe it's even the same person for all I know. It's but it I is funny. Yeah, I have. I will say, uh, I think this last thing that you published uh, last week about the academy. Yeah. Uh, post MLS uh, post tournament. 
Yeah. I did see somebody say, hey, I saw somebody's not on your list. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you saw that kind of comment? Yeah. Yeah, I did see one. I did see one of those, and I don't commonly see that, but I did see, I'm, I don't know if it's a guy's dad or friend or whatever, but they were they were oh. aggrieved that you did not include their kid in your list of yeah, up-and-comers. I, I know which one you mean. That person actually directed his comment at the player. He said, why aren't you in this list? To the player and tag oh, the player. Oh, and, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, listen, I thought he was dogging on you for not including the player. Oh, he might have been. He might have been subtweeting me, possibly. But um, here's the thing: like with with kids, uh, generally speaking, if you can play, if you're good enough to play for the academy, that means that you are a very, very good player. You're a great player if you can play for the academy. Um, you're one of the best you know, 10, 15, 20 kids in the whole city. It's a remarkable achievement. It means more than likely you're going to have the chance to get college scholarships to play soccer. It, however, does not mean that you're going to be a pro. That's <laughs> one or two guys per year. Right. You know, an exceptional year might be three or four, but usually it's going to be, if it's one or two, you're the greatest academy in the history of the world. So that means that like of the 20 dudes on the roster, that means 18 of them have some sort of flaw or, or something that's not great. And I don't like to speak too negatively about kids. So I, I choose not to like, here's kids that stink or this guy's out of the list or whatever. I kind of try not to do that too much. Now, once you sign a contract, of course, all bets are off because now you're getting paid. Doesn't matter how old you are. But um, so, you know, almost any player out there, I can tell you why I think they're not as high on my list. You know, I just don't usually choose to go into that kind of discussion, not, not publicly, you know? And so I'm looking for the tiniest little things that are separating guys. And sometimes, and this is for people, it's hard for people to understand. Sometimes the guys that I think are going to be pros or I think are worth signing are not right now the best player in their team. It might be because I think in two or three or four or five years, they're going to be a professional profile and have these all these qualities that are going to make them exceptional when they're 20 to 22, not right. when they're 15. And so sometimes people miss on that. It's like I, I've had a comment where people have said, man, do you even watch the games? You know, because like the, I might not have mentioned the leading scorer in their team. Well, you guys are the leading scorer in your team because right now he's six feet tall and everybody else is five, five feet tall. Right. Your, your kid that has the most goals is a linebacker and everyone else is about weighs 100 pounds. So that's not going to translate when the dude's 22 necessarily. When everybody catches up. Right. So it's like it's not always about the now when I'm when I'm doing those kind of things. And the bottom line in the end is it's just my opinion. You know, I mean, if I'm the people I've been certainly been wrong before. The last two home runs before Antonio Carrera caught me off guard. I was not expecting them to be signed. So, you know, yeah, it's just my opinion right and people can too. take it what they want. I think I got a pretty good track record, frankly, but you know, of course I do. It's me. Well, well, I, I think the thing, and you, and you made a good comment, which is, I mean, how many, how many kids are there in the entire Dallas youth system? Let's just, let's just do boys. Is I it, think it's 5,000 in the whole right, youth club. Is that right, Dan? Yep. Yeah. 5,000 kids. How many of those are in the academy? Well, each age group 20 and there's like, what, six age groups. So, you know, uh, 200 maybe at most. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And out of all of that, how many of them have turned in into pro, ha have gotten pro contracts? Yeah. Well, this this club is really high. They're up to like 24 in the history of the okay. club. I think it right. is. So, so like it's one or two per year. Yeah. It's going to be. Yeah. 
Right. And then how many of those have made it to Europe? Mm, less than 10. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's what, three, four guys? Well, even consider, too, that, Peter, it's not even just the FC Dallas youth here. It's like you have to include El Paso. You There's a team in Rio Grande oh, Valley. It's a team right. in Mexico. But, it's like, but it's, you understand yeah. my point. Oh, like, yeah, when yeah. you start talking about these kids that are playing in the academy, they're the finest of the – I mean, they're the best of the best, they're the yeah. cream of the crop. But there's even another level, and that becomes even a more fractional, tiny number. We talk about all these kids that play basketball and football and baseball. The number yeah. of them, the percentage of them that turn into – to pro athletes is such a is like one percent and that holds true here too yeah but just because you don't end up playing for dallas or Bayern munich doesn't mean you're a crappy soccer player right yeah. you could be yeah. really really good and i think that's sometimes is lost yeah. in the in in the uh, in the mix yeah in particular too involved in this is the idea of these are ones you might want to sign at 16 17 18 years of age there's a whole nother list of players who, if they go to college for a couple of years, might transition too. That's a completely different list, you know. Yeah. So, I don't think people should look at my list as by any means exhaustive. Not being on it doesn't mean you're going to make it. Not being on it, being on it doesn't mean you're going to make it. There's guys on there that have not made it. You know, it's 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 a list of potentials. You know, the guys that I have at the top, I think, are much higher in that potential. Of course, you know, we're, we are talking about we're looking for guys that are capable of getting into a roster ahead of Frank O'Hara, like the level that takes is extraordinary. A guy that could take, that could knock Imatu Amasi out of a team, a guy that could be Matt Hedges replacement, right? We're talking about exceptional, exceptional levels of play. That's going to be really, really rare level of ability. So that's, mm. you know, these lists are extraordinarily limited and the people that are on them, I think should be really proud of themselves because I think, to be at that level of discussion, even if you don't ever, even if I'm wrong, just, I, I think it's, you've done enough that you're at the, the highest level of play in the city for your age. It's, it's extraordinary. Well, we've prattled on for almost an hour and a half. Uh, and, uh, and, and you'd be surprised at that, especially because it comes after a, such a crummy game, but uh, thank God to MLS next for giving us something to talk about. And also considering buzz, you do have some news to share about the next two weeks worth of podcasting. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be out of the country. Um, and the, the misalignment of time zones makes it virtually impossible for us to be able to get together. So um, there will be a two week break in the podcast, which I've never done before. And obviously I don't love it, but, um, this is a family thing and I can't, uh, it's something I has to, I have to do. And, um, but, uh, so it'll be two weeks off after this podcast. And I'm, I'm sure the way this usually works when I'm out of touch is when they make moves. So, you know, I'm leaving the country for a week and a half. I'm sure they will be all kinds of big trades and moves while I'm gone. <laughs> That's how this always works. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, Dan and I will hold the ship down yeah. for you in terms of breaking news while, as we must. I appreciate that. Yeah. We'll keep the Twitter account alive, yeah. light, lit, lit up for you yeah. uh, for sure. And, and look, Buzz, it's not like you're going on a hardship. This is a good thing. You, no, no, it's good. Of thing. all it's good people thing. in the world, after your last six weeks in yeah. your personal life, <laughs> yeah. you deserve yeah. a nice European vacation. Thank so I, I really hope you uh, take the time with Amy to enjoy it with your family and everything because yeah. uh, I think Dan and I both agree that. that that's uh, something good that you deserve to have come your way. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Third Degree of Podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Check out the new arrivals from leagues around the world, including new FC Dallas vintage-style gear from Mitchell & Ness. 
Remember, third degree listeners will get 20% off at soccer90.com with promo code third degree. Some exclusions may apply. All right. Well, Dan, thank you for your time today, sir. Thank you. As always. And Buzz, please, as I just said, enjoy your vacation. It's well earned, and we will hold, uh, we'll we'll keep the light on for you. Don't worry about it. Just. (laughs) Thanks. Bring us something cool back. Oh, bring yeah. Bring us okay. a tchotchke or something, please. Yeah, I'll right. bring you some German chocolate or something. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So good. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Just don't keep it in your pocket, please. No, no, uh, I got a suitcase. <laughs> and thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We will speak to you in uh, a few weeks on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. We're going on vacation. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree. Third degree, the 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 third degree,